Good morning. Happy Sabbath. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? It's a blessing. David says in uh, Psalms 122 and verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And um, it's always a privilege to be here with you. And it's a blessing. Uh, this week has been a blessing to me. Has it been to you? Thanksgiving, a lot to give thanks, thank, uh, lot to give, uh, thanks for, um, especially the amazing food. All right, didn't get a witness on that one. Um, that was a blessing. Let us pray. Keep your fingers in the book of Romans, Romans 1, verse 7. Let us pray as we begin our study today. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the many blessings you allow us to receive. One of the blessings that you give to us, dear Father, is on a day like this, you come and abide with us in a house like this with people like us. And Father, as we're here before you, we ask that this interaction with you, that it may be life-changing and that you speak to us today. We thank you for all these things, we pray, giving you our time and giving you ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. I am actually very, very encouraged uh, because every, every now and then you get this little um, provident, providential blessing, I, I'm going to call it that for now, where you plan something, where you plan to preach on something or speak on something and then the Lord confirms it in some other way. There are two ways that this was confirmed for me this week, and that the first way was in our, uh, um, our reading this morning. Um, try to remember the reading we did. Don't remember the exact verse, but it's in our bulletin. We read from the book of uh, Psalms, and the theme of, of our reading this morning was essentially this, the thrust of our message. The other way that this was confirmed for me was this week when I walked into the police department. I walked in on Monday, and as I walked up to the front desk, I, I ran into or met a young lady that was there. And as she was there at the front desk, uh, she had her Bible open. So I was reading her Bible. I, I met her for the first time. I went up, said hello, shook her hand, and uh, she, I started introducing myself. She said, no, don't worry. I know, I know you. You're Pastor Gail, right? I've, I've heard a lot about you. So we started talking. When I gazed over, I realized that her Bible was, was open to, guess what book? The book of Romans. She had her notebook right there, and she was writing notes. She was studying the book of Romans, and we started talking about the book of Romans right there in the police department. And so she looked at me. She said, uh, Pastor, uh, the book of Romans is so powerful, and so we were bouncing ideas off of each other. So we're talking about Romans chapter 5. Romans 6, Romans 1, Romans 8, you know, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for, you know, the rest of that text, right? So we're talking about the book of Romans, and she was getting excited, I was getting excited about the book of Romans, and so we hope to talk about it some more. But this is one way it was confirmed. I, I realized then that God was doing something special because as a church, as we're going through the Bible uh, for the year, we are now in the book of Romans, as we're reading together. And now I ran into a random person just meeting for the first time, and she was also reading the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a very special book. It's actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. 
Because it speaks so powerfully to the love of God and how he wants to save you and I. Written by Paul the Apostle. So as we talk about Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, our, 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 our sermon or our, our talk today is titled, Called to be Saints, literally taken out of the text. I want to begin by sharing with you a story from a book that I've been reading. It's called Alone on the Ice. That's the name of the book. Alone on the Ice is a book that tells a story of, a, of a, well, a few gentlemen but one most importantly, a man by the name of Douglas Mawson. Douglas Mawson found himself alone and close to starvation in the blistering cold of Antarctica. Alone on the ice. This happened after an Australasian Antarctic expedition of which he was the leader ended in tragedy. Imagine being alone in Antarctica. Alone on the ice. Michigan is not half as bad as Antarctica. His crew members all died leaving him alone in the ice desert. At that time, Antarctica was a, uh, a tantalizing place. This was 1913. Uh, the, year, the year was 1913, January 17. He found himself right there. And they had gone to Antarctica because Antarctica at that time was an unknown region. It was not explored. And so they were explorers wanting to understand what was going on in this region, in this part of the world. And Douglas Mawson was a geologist. And so going to Antarctica was a part of his plan, driven by a pursuit to reach the South Pole in order to study this rather bizarre environment. And so they all traveled to Antarctica. He understood the dangers, but felt that the idea of success would far outweigh any costs. Walking in the footsteps of another, another wonderful gentleman um, by uh, the name of Shackleton. Maybe you've heard of his name before. His story is also uh, recorded, but uh, Douglas Mawson is actually, he is called one of the greatest survivors. One of the greatest survivors. This epic story of a man who survived Antarctica is just such a beautiful and powerful story. So I would like to draw an illustration from it. So as they went to Antarctica, the crew all went. They had this journey they had to travel. It was actually 500 miles they had to walk, pulling a sled behind them. This crew wanted to get to the South Pole. They traveled from the coast, and they were trying to make their way inland, wanting to, wanting to, to get to the point where they can uh, record with the wind speed, the temperatures, and so on. And each person brought with them their journal. And so they were writing down the experience. Two of his friends died. There were, the, the crews were, were split up, and he had a crew of three, uh, a crew of two, including himself. And they, they split up, and on the journey, they, they went to the, the pole. They put an Australian flag down, and on their way back, two of those guys died. One of them fell into what they call a crevice, and that is a, a huge crack in the ice. They were walking, and what, happens, what happened was, as they're walking, the ice, the, the, the crack was covered by snow. And as they're pulling the sled, the, the, the sled broke through and pulled his friend down. This crevice was more than 300 feet deep. And so his friend was obviously not found. Another friend got really, really sick, really bad. 
literally died in his tent one night, died in his sleep. And Douglas, Douglas Mawson was left alone. They had about a, a 100 miles to travel by himself. He was left alone traveling 100 miles back to base camp. Alone on the ice. What goes through your mind when you find yourself in a place like that, alone on the ice, stuck in such a place? Mawson was by himself, but he really believed that God was going to protect him, and he had a reason to survive. He said to himself, someone needs to hear the story. And so at all costs, I'm going to try my best to make it to base camp so that I could tell this story. He took his friend's journals with him, and he made this epic trek, 100 miles, walking on ice. Douglas Mawson tells the story that at one point, the soles of his feet literally detached. The skin fell off. It was brutal. At one point, he found himself literally crawling on his knees, hands and knees, trying to make it to base camp. But then there's a story that is recorded in his book where it actually talks about one moment where he was, he was walking and he was pulling his sled with him. And as he's walking, there was, he walked over one of those crevices, one of those cracks in the ice, and it broke, and he fell right in, 14 feet down. As Providence would have it, as he said, his rope caught him. He had a, he had a rope on him uh, that was attached to his sled, and as he fell down, the rope caught him. His weight pulled the sled and literally jammed it into the ice, and his sled became an anchor. And there he was floating. There he was hanging in the middle of a crevice. Couldn't see the bottom, 14 feet down. Uh, 14 feet down, that's where he was on the rope. Obviously, if he fell, he was going to die. He thought to himself, this is it. This is what death looks like. But then he realized, you see, uh, Douglas Mawson had prepared himself just in case something like this would happen. He made some knots on his rope. Just in case he fell into a crevice, he wanted to have something through, on which he could climb back up. But do you imagine someone hungry, almost to the point of dying weak, and now having to climb 14 feet, using nothing but your upper body strength? Have you ever tried climbing a rope using your upper body? Douglas Mawson was there dangling for a bit and thought to himself, I'm going to have to survive. And so he reached up, grabbed a knot, pulled himself. Reached up, grabbed another knot, pulled himself up, and finally made it to the top. And he grabbed a sheet of ice, what he thought was a, a good solid place to land on, and it broke. He fell 14 feet back in. To the crevice. And there he is dangling. Having exerted all of his strength and energy. Dangling again but 14 feet down. And he thought to himself. He actually wrote this in his journal. He said. I recall thinking. After such great effort in my most severe moment of weakness. I have fallen yet again. And now it is demanded of me another attempt at trying to climb. He thought about cutting the rope. Said, maybe what I should do is just cut the rope and end it all. But he thought, then again, he thought, Providence has brought me this far. I dare not give up. And so instead of cutting the rope, 
he said to himself, I have mustered great strength before, but I must even put in now not just great strength, but supreme effort to make it back to the top. And so once again, he grabbed the rope, knot by knot, and pulled himself up, made it all the way to the top. And instead of using his, his, his hands this time, he literally turned over, tried to get his feet up on the ice, and that's how he made it out of that crevice. Douglas Mawson made it back to base camp and survived the ordeal. When he finally made it, his friends couldn't recognize who he was. They saw his emaciated figure having been beaten by the, the blistering cold, the weather. They looked at him and they said, which one are you? They couldn't tell it was Douglas, but he made it. He's known as the greatest survivor, alone on the ice. Friends, you know, yours and my Christian experience can be just like this, alone on the ice, where you and I, we plan ahead, take all the necessary steps to avoid, avoid perceived dangers, only to find yours and myself in a cold and dark precipice where it sucks the life out of you, hungry, tired, wanting to give up, you find yourself hanging by nothing but a rope. And what do you do? What do you do? Some people cut the rope. They say, you know what, this won't work. I wouldn't even try it again. Some people climb and they make it to the top and then it breaks again and they fall back 14 feet. And they're dangling again, we hope, for some kind of change, we hope for some kind of transformation, we hope for some kind of help, but yet still we are there alone on the ice. Job didn't work out. Reputation tarnished as a result of problems you've experienced, home in disarray, poverty seemingly your lot. Giving thanks at Thanksgiving time is as hard as it could ever be. Giving thanks kind of sounds to me in those moments like the story of two men who are walking through, um, uh, they're walking through a meadow one day, and as they're walking through, they stumbled upon a, uh, a, a bull, a, a cow that was, that, that was literally um, one of those furious ones. And as they're walking through, they realize that the, 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 the cow was in the, the distance, and, and they're trying to make their way, and the animal saw them. And with rage, the beast started running toward them. And the two men, realizing what was happening, started running themselves, trying to make it over the fence. And realizing that they weren't going to make it, one gentleman looked at the other and said, Sir, please pray. We need God to help us here. The other one said, I don't know how to pray. Well, he said, you better pray. Otherwise, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. We're in it, for, uh, we're in it this time. The other one, the other guy remembered a prayer that they used to pray. His father used to pray as they blessed the meal. And he started, he decided, I'm going to pray that prayer. And so he prayed, dear Lord, thank you for what you're about to give us. May we be blessed. They survived that day, but that was not the prayer to pray. We don't know. The Lord spared them. The book of Romans is the Apostle Paul's great effort to communicate the gospel. The gospel message through which God intends to save and restore sinful, erring, and fallen human beings 
to their rightful place. It provides hope for the struggling Christian. It speaks of God's ideal for his children and the ideal we find today in our text. Let's turn again to Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, and I'm going to read that verse again. Thank you so much, Sharon, for reading this text for us. Romans 1 and verse 7. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Such a simple verse, yet so profound. Paul is the author, and he's writing. Paul was actually about 617 miles away from the destination of his letter. Paul was now in Corinth. And he's writing from Corinth a letter that is designated to the Romans, the church in Rome. The year was about A.D. 57. And Paul realized, even though he had a strong desire to go to Rome, that he wasn't going to make it at that time. Paul, being in Corinth, had a heart for those in Rome. He really wanted the gospel to find its way to this region and beyond. But he couldn't make it. And so Paul decided to write a letter instead. And so the letter is properly addressed to all who are in Rome. Lest we read these words and take for granted the true power of this text, let's think back to what life was like being in Rome at the time. To all who are in Rome. About AD 52, a man by the name of Claudius, Emperor Claudius, banished all Jews from Rome. They were forced to leave. The Christians, believers in Christ, got caught up in the mix and suddenly they found themselves nothing more than refugees in their own hometown. Suddenly they had to flee Rome. They had to leave their own land. Years later, they were allowed to come back. And when they finally came, they realized that Rome was still not going to be an easy place to live. Life in Rome was not pretty. Romans were polytheistic in their religious views. They had at least 12 gods that they believed in. There was the god of the rain. There was the god of the sea. There was god of wine and god of grain. The Romans were known to see holiness as something not to be desired as it was only for the gods. The gods were allowed to do whatever they want, whenever they want. But humans could not dare try to do it. There were idols almost in every home. The food sold by the merchants were commonly left over sacrifices offered to the pagan gods. And Paul deals with this in Romans. Those who were in power could care less about the rights of Christians. In some cases, they were seen as the scum of the earth. Life in Rome was not easy. Christians were constantly scrutinized in Rome. If one did something wrong, all were in trouble. And so life was not easy in Rome. In order to make it in Rome, you had to have status. You, have, you, have, you, you had to make a name for yourself and keep it that way. You had to protect it. Rome was not an easy place to live. All this would be troublesome, as one can imagine, for Christians to all who are in Rome. You see, Paul, when writing this letter, he highlights the place where they lived. Because for you and I, we must realize that when we read the Bible... It's not just written in terms of historically without you and I in mind. Rome was not an easy place to live as it is not easy to live in our day and age. It was difficult to be a Christian and walk in Rome. It was difficult to be a Christian and work in Rome. 
It was difficult to be a Christian and drive, quote, in Rome. It was difficult to be a Christian and eat in Rome. It was difficult to be a Christian and sleep in Rome. Being a Christian in Rome was difficult. But also it was difficult to be a Christian and go to church in Rome. You see, the church in Rome had issues as well. After the decree was lifted and the Christians came back to Rome, the church was now a diverse body of believers, kind of like the university church. There were Jews and Gentiles. But when you have diversity, you have disagreements. The Jews and the Greeks did not get along. And you can see it in Romans as Paul is addressing it. They believed one side believed one thing, the other side believed another, and they challenged each other at every single point. You see, they didn't have a structure like we have now today. They were worshiping in little home churches. And so these, 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 these challenges often escalated to uh, certain levels. And Paul, in writing to the Romans, was trying to address these issues, trying to make it straight. Who is it that saves us? Is it the law or is it Christ? Who is he that loves us? It is Jesus. Who can be against us? Is it Trouble, persecution, Romans 8. No. Yea, in all these things were more than conquerors. You see, Paul is talking about the experience of those in Rome. It was difficult to be in Rome. And so the letter is addressed properly. These small gatherings were often filled with bickering and infighting and hypocrisy. Everything around them seemed to be sucking the life out of their Christianity. Christianity in Rome was almost seemingly going cold. And many of those believers were hanging by a rope to all who are in Rome. And some of these major issues we find Paul addressing. You know, there are two books in the Bible where the Apostle Paul spends time explaining things. Two of the longest books are 1 Corinthians and the book of Romans. Romans, 16 chapters. 1 Corinthians, how many chapters? Guess. 16 chapters. And in both, we find dramatic pictures of the love of God. You see, both these churches, the church in Rome and the church in Corinth, had major issues. And Paul spent time talking about them. 16 chapters, but then you have 1 Corinthians 13. Beautiful chapter, isn't it? At the end of it, verse 13, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. You see, Paul understood the importance of love in a church environment. You see, when the church loses its ability to love, the church loses its ability to be the church. When the church loses its ability to realize that God loves them, the church loses its ability to demonstrate that love to others. And so Paul, against the backdrop of what we think we can offer to God in terms of our best gifts, because that was some of the issues in the church in Corinth. People were thinking, I have this gift, and that makes me better than you. You have that gift. Great. Sounds good, but not as good as my gift. Oh, you don't have the gift of preaching. That's unfortunate. And so Paul was making it clear, the best gift to have is love. Then against the backdrop of what we can never offer to God in terms of righteousness, Paul says in Romans, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5 and verse 8, page 1298. So there's hope for the Christian who lives in Rome. There's hope for the Christian who walks in Rome. There's hope for the Christian who works in Rome. And there's hope for the Christian who sleeps in Rome. Thus, this letter is properly addressed to all who are in Rome. But you and I must realize that a lot of the things that the Christians struggled with in Rome are a lot of the very same things that we struggle with today. There is this unity. There is infighting. Outside, there, is still, there are still challenges. Christians are still scrutinized. The world around us could care less about us sometimes. So to those, not just in Rome, but to those who are in the university church, to all who are in the U church, Every Christian has reason to thank God. Ellen White says in Acts of the Apostles, page 226, for the epistle to the church at Rome, every Christian has reason to thank God. Every Christian has reason to thank God for this epistle. Therefore, let us thank God for the book of Romans. All those who are in Rome, let's go back to our text. To all who are in Rome, Beloved of God, called to be saints. That's where our title come from, comes from. Notice how God speaks here. He puts the finger on where we are, but, but then what comes our way is his love, his regard. So while we might be hanging on the rope 14 feet down, God comes to us and speaks. The message is given to those who are in Rome because they are loved by God. You know, sometimes you wonder, the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, friends tend to be very honest with you sometimes. Sometimes you hear some things from friends that if you heard it from anyone else, you would probably tell them they were lying. And then your friends challenge you. You hear things from your parents where you realize that they know Exactly what you need. Their message is curtailed. It's cut towards, it's cut right, the fit is correct, right for you. And the same is true with God. Out of his love, he writes to you and I. Out of his love, his message comes. To those who are loved by God, those who are loved by God will always receive a message from him. Hebrews 12, verse 6, page 1383 the Bible says, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he, whom he receives. The word there in some versions translated as chasten, but the idea of discipline. Discipline is what it takes for one to climb higher. See, Mawson realized that death was below him. Life was above and it was going to take discipline to keep going at it, to grab one knot after the other. Discipline by its very nature implies difficulty. Thus, it is not beyond God's love to allow us to endure trials. The Lord knows that the Christian who has never faced a trial will never develop the strength to make the climb. Discipline. And the love of God calls us to higher ground. You cannot love someone at the same time, choose to leave them where they are, all spotted 
and wrinkled with all sort of problems. You know, I used to love it when I hear people say, you've been married for so long that you look like each other. Have you ever heard that before? What does that mean? Being together for so long in such a close relationship, having that love, love changes the individual. And they become like each other. What if the world look at us and say the same? You have been with God for so long that you look like him. Love changes us, transform us. The ideal that God has for his children, according to Ellen White, in education, page 18 and 19, she says, Higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. Godliness, godlikeness is the goal to be reached. Paul believes this to be true, and thus he writes, Beloved of God, called to the highest, called to be what? Called to be saints. That's the highest calling, called to be saints. Paul did not say called to be great. He said called to be saints. That's the highest calling. There are too, Christ there are too many Christians who believe that love covers it all, and then that means there's no reason to change anything. There's no reason to go higher. There's no reason to accept change. This kind of thinking does us no good. Love calls us higher. And that's what Paul is saying. Because of love, you are called to be saints. Charles Spurgeon says, we are not called to be great. We are called to be saints. There is no greater calling in life than to be a saint. There is no greater future than the future that God has for saints. From a worldly standpoint, the church in Rome might not have looked saintly, but it is how God sees them. And sometimes, the calling is not often the reality right away. Because God, the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, let's go to Romans chapter 4 and verse 17, and let's look at Paul's logic here. He says, speaking of Abraham... As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So when we look at a verse like this and we say to ourselves, call to be saints. Am I a saint? Does it exist? God calls it before, it before it is a reality. The same God who created the universe, who spoke light into existence, is the same God who calls you and I to be something that we are not now. But he's the same God who will take us there. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24. I'll read it for you. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So God calls, but then he does. God calls, but then he does. So while you and I might not feel like a saint, the calling is still a reality. 
while you and I might see saints around us not behaving like saints, they are still called to be saints. You see, God wants us to think higher, not lower. He wants us to live higher, not lower. We are called to be saints while we are in Rome. We are called to be saints before we are saints. We are called to be saints because of the love of God. It is the love of God that calls us to that height. John Wesley, while God calls, he makes what he calls. He makes what he calls. There are two things that should be in the company of saints. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, two things that are found in the company of saints. Grace to you and peace, the latter part of the verse. Call to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Saints are peaceful people. Saints don't argue in the parking lot about parking spaces. We don't do that here. Don't worry. Saints are peaceful people. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Saints are peaceful people. But saints also realize that God extends grace, the agency that changes them and leads them into that higher calling. You see, I want to close by summarizing what I'm sharing with you from Romans 1, 7 by sharing a story that was shared years ago by uh, Dwight Moody. It's a story of an old lady, one of those saints, mothers in Israel, you would call her. She was one of those faithful members of the church. She took care of everyone whenever she could. And she was at the point now where she was suffering. She was essentially dying, ridden with cancer, laying on her bed, and she was there, you know, the Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, you know? And here it is that this lady is there, and she knows that she doesn't have long, but she really loved birds. One day she prayed, Lord, it would be nice to see a bird outside this window. And as she lay there, a robin flew by. There was a little tree right there by her window, and she could see that the robin was busy trying to make her nest, grabbing one twig after another, constructing this really nice nest, about ready to lay her eggs. It was about spring at the time, and she's there watching this bird. But there's a powerful lesson that she learned that I want to share with you. As the bird gathered materials and came, went, went to and fro, building this nest, the bird, she could tell, was doing its best, gathering all the materials, making a beautiful tapestry of a nest. The bird was skillful, and she noticed. But as if she could tell the future, this lady started realizing that the bird was building its nest too low and almost wanting to scream and shout, build your nest higher, she said the words out loud but the bird couldn't understand. Build higher. Build your nest higher. But nonetheless, the bird went on building the nest. Now, the bird built its nest. The nest was there. Finally, she laid her eggs. 
and her young nestlings were born. Day after day, the lady watched as the bird came back and tried to feed her little nestlings. And day after day, she saw it. And then one day, lo and behold, what she feared the most was about to happen. As a result of the bird building the nest so low, a cat came climbing that little tree, went up in the nest, killed the nestlings, and she sat there and watched, crying. She saw the robin flying back and almost you could see, you know, sometimes you could see animals in sorrow and pain. And she could almost see the robin sad, knowing that she had lost her young. And then she realized that this was a message for her. As Christians, what we often do is we build our nest too low. And tragedy strikes. This lady, at that moment, surrendered her life again to the Lord. And said, Lord... I have for myself treasures laid up, not on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break in and steal. But I have laid up for myself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then she realized where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Most of us, what we have done to ourselves is we have built our nest in Rome. While we are in Rome, we have forgotten our call to be saints. Being in Rome sometimes can overwhelm yours and my Christianity. Being in Rome, meaning in our day and age, in the United States of America, wherever you find yourself, even in Jamaica, sometimes we find ourselves building our nests too low. Our wealth, nothing more than our possessions. We don't care about our own spirituality. We don't spend time fostering, building that relationship with God as saints should. We don't take that calling seriously. All we do is live too low. There are too many saints who live too low. Friends, family, it is time for us to live up to our calling. We are called to be saints. Reading our verse again, Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, I want you to think on, these ver- on this verse. To all those, replace the word Rome. To all those in the University Seventh day Adventist Church, to Germain, to whoever else, you are loved by God, but don't just stop there. As a result of God's love for you, you are called to be something that you are not right now. But the love of God will take you there. The power of God will make it a reality in your lives. Called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's power in the Bible. Now, I want to appeal to you as we close. Is is it your desire to live up to your true calling? No longer building your nest low. No longer hanging at the bottom of a precipice by a rope. But climbing back to where you need to be. Home. Home. 
being where you're called to be, called to be a saint. If that's your desire, I invite you to stand with me as we pray to close. We ask the Lord to give us, make that calling a reality in our lives. That's what we need to be. And that, for that reason, we can be thankful for the book of Romans. Its message is powerful to you and I. We need to live up to our true calling. There's no greater calling than to be a saint. Let us pray together. Father, we are thankful for the many blessings you allow us to receive. Father, it is amazing that you look at us and that your perspective is so hopeful. That your perspective, even though seeing who we are and where we are, you still see us as we are called to be. Called to be saints. Dear Father, we realize that by our own effort, we cannot ascend, we cannot make the ascent to this place that you have set up for us. We cannot reach this ideal, but we can allow you to work out your ideal in us. And with us standing today, we want to surrender our lives to you so that you can make this calling a reality in our lives. Father, we thank you so much for speaking to us. We thank you so much for being with us today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen.